Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 11 o'clock a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 16th day of November 2023. Gobble, gobble. Thanksgiving's coming quick. This is episode 823 of Bitcoin and the Circle P is open for business. Today we have Avi Burra. That is Avi Burra over on Noster. He's written a book and he's thrilled to announce that the first Long form book of fiction on Bitcoin 24, that's the name of the book, is now available for purchase. And he's got an Amazon link that will be in the show notes. Here's the blurb about it. Quote, surreal, suspenseful, and thought-provoking. 24 is a book about Oliver Batolo's journey as he comes to terms with the unexpected death of his father and in the process discovers that he had been harboring a bizarre secret. Set in the year 2022, Oliver learns how to slay demons past and present as he unravels the mystery that leads him to secrets hidden in paintings, returning characters from childhood fantasies, alchemy, and somehow Bitcoin. This is a hid. There is, oh, sorry, excuse me. There is a hidden bounty in the book, y'all. There, he's, he, you got to read the book, but there's a bounty in the book and it can be unlocked by finding clues spread all throughout. I will periodically be adding to the bounty with a percentage of the book sale profits until it is claimed. Right now, it stands at 10 million sats and can be tracked here. And he gives the uh, mempool.space wallet address for it. I hope you enjoy reading it as much as I enjoyed writing it over the last year. So there you go. Avi Burra's got a book. It is named 24. He has an Amazon link. I'll put, make sure that that's in the show notes. There's also a link directly to this Noster note that Avi Burra put up for this. Uh, so you can you can find all the information about it there, including the wallet address for the um, for the bounty that's in the book. And I got to say, this is kind of inventive. You know, we we have seen like you know, like I remember in I remember 2016. In 2017, and hell, even throughout 2015, there was a lot of people that they had scavenger hunts around New York City where you could go find clues and unlock a wallet. There were people that were making pieces of art that if you correctly deciphered the art piece, you'd be able to find like a 12 or 20, actually at the time it was a 12 word seed phrase and unlock a wallet. It was like, it was just all over the place. And then it just kind of, I don't know, kind of went out of style. And I'm glad to see that Avi Burra is bringing it back in the form of a book. I think that it's really inventive. I, I, I've never read anything from Avi before, but I'm kind of, kind of dying to see how this whole thing shakes out. Now on to the news. 
United States Congress members urge financial authorities to invalidate the security, or sorry, the, the SEC's SAB 121. All right, this is written by who? None other than, if I can get her name, Amaka Nawachaka. I, I'm pretty sure I butchered the living crap out of that. <clears throat> Several members of the United States Congress have submitted a memo, memo urging key financial authorities, including the chair of the Board of the Federal Deposit Insurance Commission and the acting comptroller of the currency, to provide guidance or take action, clarifying that the United States Securities and Exchange Commission Staff Accounting Bulletin 121, the SAB 121, is not enforceable following a recent Government Accountability Office finding. In the memo, the Congress member stated that SAB 121 should have no legal effect and that the federal banking agencies and National Credit Union Administration should not require banks, credit unions, and other financial institutions providing custody services for digital assets to comply. SAB 121 states that crypto assets of bank customers should be held on the bank's balance sheet reflecting the value of the assets and requiring capital to be maintained against them. Industry representatives and several U.S. lawmakers have argued that it jeopardizes the willingness of regulated banks to act as crypto custodians and treat crypto holdings differently than other assets. The GAO, the Government Accounting Office, determined that the SEC's SAB 121 should undergo congressional review based on a letter from Cynthia Lummis, Uh, to the United States Comptroller General in August of 2022. The evaluation focused on whether the bulletin qualifies as a rule under the Congressional Review Act. According to the Act, an agency rule must be reported to the Comptroller General and both chambers of Congress with a mechanism for Congress to disprove the rule. The Congress members, who include Cynthia Lummis, Senator Kristen Gillibard, and Representatives Patrick McHenry, French Hill, Richie Torres, Mike Flood, and Wiley Nickel expressed concern that enforcing this rule, which does not comply with regulations, would establish a worrisome precedent. It could enable regulatory maneuvering to bypass the Administrative Procedures Act, ultimately granting the SEC regulatory authority over institutions that are not authorized by Congress, the lawmakers claim. In June of 2022, five senators wrote to SEC Chair Gary Gensler, expressing their disapproval of what they deemed backdoor regulation. Additionally, Flood lectured Gensler on the bulletin during his appearance before the House Financial Services Committee in September. All right, so what this means is that if government licensed Financial institutions, at least in the United States, are going to hold people's quote-unquote crypto as a custodial service. The, The SEC wants them to have other backing for that crypto. They, they And honestly, I mean, I, I can kind of see both sides of this argument. If... If for whatever reason, the bank in question puts somebody's like Dogecoin and the value in United States dollars on their books, 
They'd have to, they, that would literally have to be an automated system that continuously updates their balance sheet. Nobody would actually be able to get a handle on it, right? I mean, it would be like, it would be all over the place because of the volatility. Not like other things aren't volatile, but I mean, Dogecoin on a 24-7, 365 trading schedule? Are you, you freaking kidding me? Especially with something like something stupid like Dogecoin, right? I I can definitely see why these senators are saying don't don't make them do that because if they have to put it on their balance sheet and they have to back it with you know other securities and have that in cash on hand for them to just not get screwed over then it's a mess so therefore I mean I can see why the SEC wants it to happen but it's problematic which is why I can see the whole this whole group of senators and and representatives kind of freaking out about it so uh, you know it's like which way would you want it to go i personally don't think banks should be allowed to hold cryptocurrency at all at least not the legacy banks not these guys if you actually want to do that as like wells fargo then you should go get a separate license. I know I don't like regulations as much as anybody else, but I'm not a fan of Wells Fargo. So honestly, I don't give a shit what happens to them, but they should have to go get a license and prove that they are capable of custodying people's cryptocurrency. And then that unit, that unit can hold, I don't know, securities or treasury bills or whatever it is that Gary Gensler wants them to hold as security against the cryptocurrency that's on the books. But at least it's a separate, it would it would actually be a siloed situation. So it'd be like Wells Fargo crypto or Bank of America crypto or digital assets or whatever you want to call it. As long as it's not connected and part of the actual balance sheet of what's already going on in these legacy financial institutions. Because honestly, I think that that would just make it a lot worse and we already have bad and we don't need to see it any worse. So now I brought to you, um, the day before yesterday, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Day before yesterday, uh, Bitstream. uh, Robin Linus is, he's the guy behind BitVM, the Bitcoin virtual machine. He's written this paper about Bitstream, and Shinobi has a breakdown of it. Let's get into what he has to say about it on from Bitcoin Magazine. Hold on for a second. Let me check one thing and make sure that we're not all going to die here. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the stream here just so just so you understand what's going on here. Do, 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 do. All right, making sure that that is not dead. All right, here we go. The name of the article. Bitstream, a protocol for atomic data exchange. Atomically purchasing digital files with digital currency is an idea that has a long history in the space. Digital goods, digital money, the two seem like a perfect pairing together. Digital goods, you know, like information, are also massive markets. Think about all the video, audio, text, games, and other forms of digital content that people purchase and consume on a regular basis. These are markets that are worth billions of dollars that people interact with on a daily basis. 
Most of the serious attempts at implementing paid file sharing have gone down bad roads. Filecoin was an attempt to do this on top of IPFS, but ultimately the project is absurdly over-engineered. BitTorrent, the company, not the protocol, was bought by Justin Sun and integrated its own cryptocurrency and blockchain. Both of these projects have effectively gone nowhere productive, with extremely over-engineered systems on the technical side and very dubious incentives on the economic side. Bitstream is a proposal by Robin Linus to attempt to address the requirements of atomically purchasing data without the pointless addition of altcoins and over-engineered technical protocols for the exchange. All files can be uniquely identified by a single hash. This is very important detail in the scheme. Selling a file automatically requires encrypting the file using a function that allows the user to verify what is encrypted, and after having done so, the user automatically, or atomically, purchases the encryption key for the file. The problem is the verification process, and more importantly, proving if you were cheated and the file decrypts to incorrect data is expensive. Naively done, you would need to produce the entire encrypted file and the decryption key so others could decrypt it and verify the decrypted data did not match the expected hash value when hashed. File sharing systems like BitTorrent frequently break up files into standard-sized chunks and build a Merkle tree out of them, which allows the root hash to function as a file identifier in the magnet link and to verify each individual chunk of a file that you download is indeed a valid piece of that file. This is a property that can be taken advantage of to drastically improve the efficiency of fraud proofs showing a file distributor cheated you. The seller of the file can generate a random value and use this to encrypt each file chunk using an XOR operation against the random value. This can then sign an attestation of the encrypted file root hash and the hash of the encryption value. The encrypted file tree is set up in a special way to facilitate simple fraud proofs. Instead of building the Merkle tree out of just the normal file chunks, but encrypted, the tree creates pairs of leaves that consist of one encrypted file chunk and the hash of the unencrypted file chunk next to it. Now, at this point, the buyer can download the encrypted file. And after verifying by taking all of the hashes of the unencrypted chunks and creating a Merkle tree from them to ensure that they match the root hash of the unencrypted file, the atomically per- <laughs> they can atomically purchase the decryption value. This is accomplished by the seller using it as the pre-image to an HTLC over the Lightning Network or a Chamian eCash Mint like Cashew, which supports HTLCs. If the file does not decrypt correctly, either because the encrypted data is a different file or the pre-image is not the actual encryption key, the Merkle path in the encrypted file tree to any two leaves can show the seller cheated the buyer. Providing just the path to any encrypted file chunk and its corresponding unencrypted chunk hash with the pre-image, the buyer purchased will prove definitively that the seller did not provide the buyer with the file that they claimed they did. Any file seller using the Bitstream protocol can deposit a bond that can be slashed with a fraud proof 
as designed above if they cheat a customer. This can be enforced by simply depositing a bond at a Chamian Mint in the simplest case. Platforms like Liquid offer alternative methods of building a bond that can actually be enforced trustlessly with functionality like op underscore cat. Scripts could be constructed that actually take the bitstream fraud proof and validate it on the stack, allowing the creation of a UTXO that would be spendable by anyone who had a valid fraud proof. If opcat ever became available on the main chain, this could even be done completely trustlessly without needing a federated execution environment. Bitstream is an incredibly promising protocol for atomically selling digital information with a very efficient scheme for proving fraud and no shit coins are required. So essentially what's Bitstream? Being able to buy a file with Bitcoin over the Lightning Network and have that purchase protected so that you are absolutely sure that you do not buy something that is different than what you thought you paid for, right? Like, like I, we'll just say, just keep it easy, even though it's copyright infringement. And I don't, I honestly don't give a shit. A movie, like, I don't know, buy an Iron Man, whatever, you know, one of the Iron Man movies or one of the Marvel movies or something like that. You buy it, it's illegal. It doesn't matter. That's not the point, but it's a digital file. And that's what you paid for. And that's what you expect. And then you decrypt it. And all of a sudden, it's, oh, I don't know, children's movies or something like that. Completely different. Not what you wanted. You can execute because it's not the right file. And it doesn't, it's, it's, it certainly shouldn't even get there. It shouldn't even get to the point where you decrypt this file. By the time that this entire execution is complete of you buying the file before you even decrypt it, it should be known that or that this system is saying that it will be known whether or not this file is what it says it is. And if it is not, then the bond that the seller puts up, which is of value, it is in Satoshi's most likely that that bond gets slashed. In other words, it either completely vaporizes and is given to the person that bought the file and that file was not the correct file that they paid for. Or a portion of that bond gets liquidated and then given to the guy that bought the file and that file was not the file that they paid for. There is a punishment. That's the whole point of this. And it's automatic. That's what the whole, this whole thing is about it being an automatic protection system from the sell, for the seller from the buyer or for the buyer from the seller. So if I'm going to sell you something, I need to put up a bond. And if I sell you something that is different than what I told you it was, then I either lose all or at least a portion of that bond as punishment. What does that incentivize me to do? It incentivizes me to be honest and give you what you paid for. Why is that so difficult? Why do we even have to do this? Well, because humanity is filled with hairless monkeys that still have not learned how to treat each other with respect. And until that day actually happens, we're going to have to have punishment schemes that are automatically done on something like Bitstream. 
I'm really excited about this, but it looks to me like this is going to have to have something popped in to Bitcoin Core call. Well, it's going to be an operator called Opcat. It doesn't look like it's there just yet. I'm not exactly certain if that's true. If you guys know different, then let me know. Do it through Boostagram, and I will I will make sure that I give that correction in a later show. But that's what it looks like to me. So what does that mean? If it takes a change, not a fork, but just the inclusion of an operator into the Bitcoin main code, then it's going to take a while. Don't, don't expect Bitstream and its functionality to go live literally anytime soon. Okay, so just, just beware. Now, Durabit. Incentivizing torrent seeding with Bitcoin. This is another proposal, but this one is from somebody anonymous. It seems to have a little bit of, uh, com- not comparable, but it seems to have a little bit of its hooks into what we just read. It's also by Shinobi and is also from Bitcoin Magazine. BitTorrent has been around for 22 years as of this year. In many ways, it is a technology protocol almost as big as Bitcoin in the scope of how it changed the game of moving data around the internet. If Bitcoin is the money for sending money around when people don't want you doing so, BitTorrent is the mechanism for moving data around when they don't want you to do so. It's always had a big problem, though, one I'm sure everyone who has ever used it is quite familiar with, the seeding problem. How many of you, upon completing the download of a file, have immediately closed out your torrent client and didn't leave it seeding after you had the complete file? Everyone's done it. BitTorrent doesn't function without users staying online and seeding a file for others to download, which most users do not do for very long after attaining the complete file. This works whenever a file is in high demand. People seed the sections of the file they have as they download. They disappear when they're finished, but in the meantime, other people come online and start downloading, and they seed as the download. It works as long as the group going through the churn is large, but if it isn't, torrents tend to fade away and becomes unavailable as people stop seeding. This presents a problem for the longevity of individual torrents. It's a great protocol for getting a piece of data circulating while it's in high demand, but after that demand fades, the data tends to become unavailable as people stop seeding it. Durabit is a recent proposal to attempt to address this issue. The scheme is relatively simple, but seems like it would provide a solid incentive mechanism for people to keep seeding a file. The system depends on a Chaumian eCache Mint to facilitate the incentive mechanism for file seeders. A third party who wishes to ensure a file stays available enters into a contractual arrangement with the eCache Mint. Taking the form of a series of time-locked pre-signed transactions. Each transaction is time-locked in intervals of two weeks and pays out a small amount each time to the Chamian eCash Mint. Each payout is a time-locked UTXO that cannot be spent until the next transaction becomes valid, with the remainder of the funds always going back to an address controlled by whoever issued these transactions. With the next transaction in the chain, spending this change output. 
The first transaction in the series commits to a specific torrent magnet link in an op return output to associate the contract with the file the issuer wants to incentivize seeding. After the mint has these pre-signed transactions in its possession, it submits the first transaction to the chain and begins monitoring the torrent swarm for the specified magnet link. From here, the Mint listens for any torrent clients that also run a Durabit client to reach out to it. If any Durabit client pings the Mint from the same IP address as someone it sees seeding in the torrent swarm, it maintains that connection out of band. From here, the Mint watches and tracks seeders that have registered with it. During the course of the two-week period before its most recent payout becomes spendable, the Mint issues Chami and eCash tokens to each registered seeder for keeping the data available. A Mint can do this proportionately to the amount of data seeded, or can randomize token issuances in a lottery amongst the seeders it has registered. Once its payout output becomes spendable, it can announce this and open a redemption window to pay out the actual Bitcoin in exchange for Chami and tokens that it has issued during the seeding epoch. This cycle continues for as long as the series of pre-signed transactions lasts. The overall total amount of Bitcoin contributed to the contract and the amounts paid out each period are entirely up to the issuer of the contract. Now, I'm sure most of you are thinking, what stops the Chami and Mint from simply just collecting these payouts and not distributing a portion of them to the people seeding the torrent? Ah, this is the beauty of the proposal. Purely incentives. Each transaction pays out a small amount of funds to the Chami and Mint in a time-locked output. Time-locked output. And spends the rest back to the issuer of the contract. At any time, the party that issued this contract can effectively revoke it by double-spending that output, invalidating the rest of the pre-signed transactions from that point forward. The Mint, being aware of this, has to weigh the potential loss of all future income derived from any individual contract by collecting the agreed-upon percentage of each payout for itself against the potential gain of keeping an entire payout while losing that percentage fee for all future payouts. The issuer, on the other hand, was initially motivated to issue the contract in the first place because of a desire to keep a specific file available by incentivizing people to seed it. If they truly want that file to stay available, it is in their best interest to not revoke any contract that they have issued unless the mint fulfilling it is acting dishonestly. This arrangement aligns the incentives properly so that it should be in the best interest of the mint to monitor the torrent swarm and distribute funds honestly to seeders and it is in the best interest of the issuer of the contract to not double spend it and revoke it so long as the Mint continues operating honestly. The proposal looks at the problem of actually auditing honestly, both in terms of the Mint auditing seeders that it is distributing tokens and payouts to, and the issuer of the contract auditing the Mint. In the case of a Mint auditing a seeder, they can select random chunks of the torrent file to download periodically. This should provide a decent assurance that any individual seeder is actually in possession of and serving the file to other users. In the case of the issuer auditing the Mint, 
indirectly monitoring the torrent swarm should provide a good enough basis to assess the mint's honesty. Once a contract has begun and the mint has started issuing payouts, the swarm should establish a baseline of traffic proportional to the economic incentive the contract provides. If at any time the issuer notices a large decrease in swarm traffic, that's a pretty good indicator that the mint is not processing distributions honestly and the contract should probably be revoked. Neither of these are foolproof, especially in the case of the mint auditing the torrent seeders, but it should be good enough. At the end of the day, if a seeder is essentially just grabbing data from other seeders to respond to challenges from the mint in order for them to do that, the data does need to be available enough for them to grab any random chunk the mint challenges them to produce. So, in such an instance, while actors may be able to dishonestly collect payouts from the mint without hosting and serving the file, if the file is not actually available, they would be incapable of gaming the system in that way. I don't believe that this is a fatal flaw as the overall goal of ensuring the file's availability is met. Overall, Durbit is a very simple system facilitated by a trusted party in the form of a Chamian Mint, but I think that simplicity is its strength. The amount of funds ever available for a Mint to abscond with maliciously is minimal, and if such an event were to occur, the issuer of the contract can simply revoke the existing one and reissue it with another Mint. I think it provides a very simple and elegant solution to the incentive problem of keeping files seeded using BitTorrent even during huge drops in demand from users. Okay, so that's, both of those are, they're both from Bitcoin Magazine, they're both from Shinobi, and they both make a lot of sense. And they both, for me, work hand in hand with each other. You've got the Bitstream on one side that says, hey, I want to buy something from you. And then you've got the BitTorrent on the other side that is a file sharing provider. And sitting in both of these is Chamian eCash Mints. And sitting in both of these are incentives and disincentives for both sellers and buyers. In the BitTorrent side, the seller is basically... They want you to seed the file, to keep it alive on your system, to make it available for the public. In the Bitstream side, the, the, you know, the seller is basically the guy that's just providing the file. In either, in either of these cases, using these very simple structures is always the way to go, whether it's in Bitcoin or engineering or I don't know, doing whatever in in the world, simple always has this tendency to be better, right? And I've, you know, in in the days of old, the days of yore, BitTorrent was, you know, had a lot of stuff on it. And now it kind of doesn't. But if you incentivize people to keep files on their computer as seeding files, and they're getting paid a little bit to do it, I don't have a problem with that. In fact... I see what I see is this uh, Durabit system and the Bitstream system both being applications that could run atop a Bitcoin full node 
like MyNode BTC or Umbral or Start9 guys, I could definitely see both of these being resident alongside the Bitcoin Core protocol that's running on the node, the Lightning Network or LND or uh, or whatever else whatever else there is that that runs the Lightning Daemons, um, that running, Durabit running, and Bitstream running, and Chami and Ecash mints going on. All these taken together, what this really facilitates, by the way, is um. Uh, <laughs> oh, I want to get into here. So, um. I want to look at this. The system depends on a Chami and eCash mint to facilitate the incentive mechanism for file seeders. Right there in that one sentence, what we're what what's really going on here is you're watching the digital economies, circular economy start to build. And that will build out to meat space. We're trying to get it into meat space already. And I don't think that that's, there's anything wrong with that, but I do think that the real meat and potatoes of how all Bitcoin and Lightning and Chami and eCash and all that stuff work, it's native digitally. So therefore, digital assets, not Ethereum rocks. I'm talking movies, music, books, PDFs, stuff of actual value, not NFTs, stuff that actually has value. Those are just ripe for, that's the low hanging fruit, ladies and gentlemen, is the digital assets that we want to curate and trade and sell. That's where the digital economy is most likely going to catch on fire or the circular economy is most likely going to catch on fire. I'm just saying. Now, let's move on to something else. I'm not going to do that one. And I'm not going to do that one. We're going to go ahead and we're going to run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities and energy is getting launched. Oil is on the ropes today. Nobody's producing shit in the world. Manufacturing is plummeting. Nobody's shipping anything because nobody needs any oil. I can tell because West Texas Intermediate is down by almost five full points today. $72.96. Just two or three weeks ago, it was at what? 91 bucks. We are 20 bucks out from oil's local high. And it's because inventory in the United States is building. In fact, oil inventories around the world are building. How are they building? Because they're not being burned. And if they're not being burned, that means there's no shipping. Uh, Not no shipping, but there's way less shipping. There's way less manufacturing. Industry is grinding to a halt. Nobody wants to do anything. And I can tell because of oil prices. Brent North Sea ain't faring much better. It's down four and a half points to $77.44. Natural gas has taken a hit of 4.2%, $3.05 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline is going to benefit at the pumps, right? Four and a half points to the downside, $2.10 a gallon. But again, good luck finding that at the pumps. Gold is up 1.15% to 1986.90. Silver is up one and a half. Platinum is down scant. Copper is down just over a half. Palladium is up a quarter. 
Ag is mixed pretty much. The biggest winner today is going to be Rough Rice. Almost two points to the upside. Biggest loser is Coffee. 2.2 to the down. I got live cattle down 1.63. Lean hogs are up a third. Feeder cattle are down one and a half points. The Dow is down almost a half point. S&P is down 0.18%. NASDAQ is down a quarter of a percent. And, well, S&P mini, not doing well at all today. 1.19% to the downside. And what are bonds doing? Yields are crashing. Well, not as fast as I would like to see them crash, but whatever. Uh, So people that are holding bonds are getting a little bit of a relief because the 30-year is now uh, av- or yielding 4.62%, the 20-year 4.81%, and the 10-year 4.44%. Everything from the one month to the 30-year has tumbled in yield. And what else has tumbled but the dollar index? We are now down to 104.32. Uh, having, yeah, dollar's having a little bit of difficulty, which is, which is what, that's what Gary Gensler wants. That's what the United States Treasury wants. That's what the Federal Reserve wants. They want a weak dollar. They want it weak. And it's not, it, honestly, that it's kind of not even because of nefarious means. It just means that trading is better for us in the international markets with a slightly weaker dollar. But it has been going down. If it goes down too much, we have other problems that we don't want to deal with, but we're probably going to have to deal with them because God only knows what the hell is in store for us in the year coming up of 2024. By the way, the attacker of Nancy Pelosi's husband has been found guilty. I I know you don't care either. <laughs> God, poor Bitcoin. $36,166.52. So all that shit that happened like, you know, late yesterday where we went back up to almost, what, 37800 And it's gone. <laughs> Average transaction values are half a Bitcoin. Median transaction values are $6.31. Ordinals are indeed ruling the day. Uh, block times are low, 9 minutes, 48 seconds. Got two BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 288 BTC have been taken in fees in the last 24 hours. I'm going to say that again because I know it went right over your head. In the last 24 hours, 288.7 BTC have been taken in fees alone. Because transaction costs are through the freaking roof. Why? There's a lot of activity on the on on Bitcoin's blockchain. It ain't just all ordinals. There is Bitcoin is flying around all over the damn place. And we know that ordinals are stupid, so everybody engaged with that side of what's going on in the transaction mempools, we know that that's just stupid. But what about the other stuff? I, it seems to me that people are trying to get themselves into position. Are they getting in a position to sell or buy is always the question. I don't know. But there is a shit ton of Bitcoin activity on main chain as of today. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge, 7.9 United States pennies. So it's starting to pick up its pace like the rest of the altcoin market. And, you know, I wish that it would go away. It's never going to go away because human stupidity is ever present. Now, 
where are we at? We're at the dashboard. Clark Moody showing a $694.5 billion market capitalization. That is five and a quarter percent of gold's entire market cap. You can now only purchase 18.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19 million. 543,924.28 of, and 5,305.6 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $188.6 million. 14,569 Lightning nodes that we know about, and 62,416 payment channels that we can see. 81.2% of all that's being run over Tor. Mempools, as I alluded to, are packed and stacked. Guys, We are well over 300 blocks carrying 304,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear. High priority transaction fees are costing 255 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priorities, 193. Anything under 19.1 Satoshis per V-byte. You read that right. Anything under 19 Satoshis per V-byte are being purged from the mempools that are just, they're getting hammered. They're getting hammered, 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 hammered. We're well over one gigabyte of memory usage. And the standard, like if you are running a Bitcoin core node, the mempool that you're running on your particular node, unless you changed its memory is basically 300 megabytes. And we are well over one gigabyte in memory and mempools around the world. So yeah, 19.1 Satoshis per V-byte. You thought you were going to do a trade. You thought you were going to get your uh, Bitcoin move for five Satoshis. Uh-uh, no, more like 20. And high, high priorities just fell to 183. I don't expect that to last very much longer. All right, from Propagandize D's Nuts, episode 822, got itsy bitsy hodl that tried to give me 21,000 Satoshis by saying, uh, keeping fellow plebs updated on the news of the day in the Bitcoin universe is much appreciated. Thank you for your time. No, thank you. Uh, and then he comes back and says, I don't think this boost went through. Let me know if you got it. If not, I will zap it to you. Itsy bitsy. Nope. I've been checking. I've been checking my lightning node. I don't know what's going on. I know that I have incoming liquidity that can handle that. I know it. I've got 24 channels on my node, 24 payment channels. I've got a lot of outgoing liquidity and I've got a shit ton of incoming liquidity. Why I'm not able to get anything over 20 or 21,000 Satoshis is beyond my comprehension. A couple of people have said it's something to do with balancing you know, particular channels. I'm not so certain. It's not that you're wrong. You may very well be right, but I've got a lot of incoming liquidity. I should be able to get that into my nodes. The only thing that I can figure is that I'm still just not all that well connected in the in the Lightning Network. I don't know, but it's pissing me off. Turla with 3000 says, why do we need drive chains when we already get Lightning and Taproot? Agreed. Sats McDuck 2100 Sats says V4V. Monord says with 100 with 1010 says thanks for doing what you do. Yes, you are correct. Australians are getting screwed by fat cats in almost every way. 
Axelrod with a thousand says, this world needs an enema. <laughs> Great show. And one of my favorite movie quotes from the Joker. Thank you, sir. Keep it up. No, thank you. Bit Gus with a hundred says, boost pies with a hundred finishes us off with thank you, sir. No, thank you. And that's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use, The Block. That's right, theblock.co. R.T. Watson writing, SEC delays decision over the conversion of the Hashdex Bitcoin futures ETF to spot. This actually happened yesterday, which is most likely what put the, that, this is one of two things, in my opinion, that happened late yesterday that put the kibosh on Bitcoin reaching above 38,000. This is one of them. The other one is the announcement of BlackRock, their S1 filing for a, an Ethereum spot, uh, yeah, an Ethereum spot ETF. Here's the thing that I don't get about the Ethereum shit before we get into this. We already knew that BlackRock was planning on doing that. All the news yesterday was, was that they filed the S1 for what they already told us they were going to do. And people are acting like this was a surprise out of left field that, look, now BlackRock loves Ethereum. Dude, we knew this shit last month. Actually, in all fairness, we probably actually knew it at the end of the month before. This is not a surprise. All that was was they actually put in the S1 paperwork to do what they said that they were going to do. They announced it weeks ago, weeks ago. And people are acting like it's fresh. No, it's not. We already knew BlackRock was getting into shit coinery almost immediately six months after they got it, decided to get into Bitcoin. Whatever, it doesn't matter. But the SEC and Gary Gensler, the chairman of the SEC, and all his infinite wisdom has decided to tell Hashdex to F off. The Securities and Exchange Commission has decided it needs more time before deciding on whether or not to allow a Bitcoin futures ETF and an Ethereum futures ETF to convert to spot ETFs, the agency declared Wednesday in separate filings. In response to the September filing for the hash decks, hash not BlackRock, this is the hash decks Bitcoin futures ETF application which it proposed converting its exchange-traded fund listed on the New York Stock Exchange into a spot product. The SEC said in a filing that it would take another 45 days before coming to a decision on the matter by January the 1st, 2024. I didn't realize that they worked on New Year's Day. Whatever. Quote, the commission finds it appropriate to designate a longer period with which to take action on the proposed rule change so that it has sufficient time to consider the proposed rule change and the issues raised therein, the SEC said in their statement. Hashdex's bid to convert an existing Bitcoin ETF into a spot vehicle is unique because the fund manager proposes holding a mix of Bitcoin futures contracts, spot Bitcoin, and cash in order to avoid the risks of market manipulation. Other major organizations like Fidelity and BlackRock are seeking the approval needed to launch spot Bitcoin ETFs of their own. The promise, the promise of spot Bitcoin ETFs gaining approval 
have helped buoy a rebounding crypto market. The SEC used more or less identical language in a second filing in which the agency explained its decision to also delay ruling on a rule change related to Grayscale's proposed Ethereum Futures ETF. A ruling in this case will also be made by the first of the new year, said the SEC. Grayscale's filing for the ETF came shortly after the SEC cleared the way for the first Ethereum Futures ETFs. Both VanEck and ProShares have also launched Ethereum futures-based ETFs. So shitcoinery aside, the SEC is up to their old tricks. Wait, 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 wait some more. We need more time. We need more time. We need more time. At this point, it's become beyond ridiculous. I mean, again, if you're saying, well, how bad do you want the ETF, Dave? Well, I don't care. It's just that, this is this is ridiculous. There's I I can't, you will you'll have to go find because I I've I've looked I can't find it. You're gonna have to go find for me an instance where the SEC back in history has approved a futures contract situation of some commodity or some asset of some kind or another, and not approved a spot version of that very same contract within months of each other at least or at at most rather at most months it doesn't exist this is the only time that i can find in the history of the securities exchange commission that they've ever only allowed futures vehicles and instrumentation to exist without a spot version of the same instrumentation it's never happened before. If you can find an instance where it has happened before, for God's sakes, let me know. Because not only is it me saying this, it's every other maximalist Bitcoiner that's out there that's saying, look, whether or not a spot Bitcoin ETF is good for Bitcoin or bad for Bitcoin is beyond the point. The real point here is nobody can find an instance where the SEC has ever done this before on anything. We cannot find a single example where a futures contract was allowed, but a spot of that same commodity or underlying asset or whatever was not, especially for this long. Something's going on, man. And sure, I know what you're saying. Well, they just don't want to unleash the Kraken. Well, you know, I mean, honestly, ETFs are spot ETFs. They're kind of good at collaring things like gold and stuff like that. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I kind of, it's not that I don't want to see a spot ETF. I know why they want one. It's just that, I, and it's not that I, I kind of care because I'm kind of worried about what it might do for the price of Bitcoin. But what does that mean that I'm doing? It means I'm measuring Bitcoin in the fiat legacy financial bullshit. And that's probably not the best way to go. It probably is just not the best way to go. But be that as it may, the situation still stands. Why is the SEC not following the pattern of their activity for the last handful, couple of handfuls of decades. 
and not allowing a spot version of an instrument to occur after they've allowed the futures instrumentation of that to not only occur, but to be traded for years at this point. At, l- at least over a year in the United States with, with Bitcoin futures contracts and not allow the spot. Why? I don't have a good answer. I really don't. If you have a good answer, again, I'd like to hear it. And by the way, I'm, I'm looking here in the, uh, in the chat. If any, is there anybody, let's see, uh, how many people are here? Got, yeah, got at least one person uh, listening to me. Um, if you have an idea of why the SEC is doing this in particular, let me know, man. Let me know in the chat, dude, and I'll, I'll read it. Um, let's see. Oh, Ferrari. Oh, God. Yes. Of course, Ferrari. Helen Parts, Cointelegraph. Ferrari's Bitcoin acceptance is a major market win, says CoinFlip CEO. Ferrari's decision to allow United States residents to buy its cars in exchange for cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin has become one of the biggest market wins in 2023, according to the CEO of the Bitcoin ATM operator CoinFlip. Ferrari has been aware of the growing demand from clients for alternative payment solutions and decided to support dealers in meeting these clients' requests, the representative said, adding, quote, The source of the cryptocurrencies will be proven and volatility risks associated with exchange rates will be eliminated. Dealers, and ultimately Ferrari, will receive payments in traditional currency and will not be managing cryptocurrencies directly. So there you go. It is an auto-conversion. They're just, they're just leveraging the payment rail that is Bitcoin. They're not planning to hold any of the actual Bitcoin. So <laughs> there you go, man. There you go. Um, hold on. I got I to gotta top up here for a sec. I got to top up my, my sats on Zapstream. It just gave me a warning. It said, hey, man, you're running low. And somehow or another, I'm not able to get it to go to good or best on the endpoint for the uh, zap.stream. It just, it doesn't seem to want to hold. So it's just charging me at, let's see, I got 43 minutes at 21 sats per minute using the best endpoint. I tried switching it to basic and it's just not switching over. So it is what it is. Uh, Let me get this off so I can get back to this. Now, boing. Boing, boing, boing. Sounds like a bounce. What else bounces? Checks bounce. That's right. Checks bounce. This is from Null C on r forward slash BSV over on Reddit. And um, <laughs> Null C, oh God, I can't remember his actual name. One of the old timey Bitcoin core contributors, developers, maintainers. Um, he's all, I can't believe I cannot remember his name. It's Nulsey. The guy, the guy's a legend, but he says this in this Reddit post. I know people here will be shocked to learn that Craig Wright's security in the database counts has bounced. Much has been said that it's simply due to a clerical error on the part of Wright's attorneys, which I have no reason to think isn't credible at the moment. But given that I've been getting daily queries on this, I thought people would appreciate hearing that it did, in fact, bounce. What the hell is he talking about? 
Well, the last court case that Craig Wright and his lawyers filed in this, what, database, was what is it, database security? Some database case. It's the last one that, that he's filed, as far as I know. The court, which has been, you know, well aware of this gentleman's chicanery over the years, demanded that they put up a security deposit to make sure that court fees are covered no matter what the hell happens in this case. They're just tired of this joker. I've never even heard of a court asking for a security deposit for their time. And like, you know, and, and like, I, I guess it like covers more than just court, uh, the court fees. But regardless, they asked. Actually, they told Craig, we're not even going to listen to this case. Not even going to listen to this case unless you give us some money. And he did. And the check bounced. It, it bounced. I, I think that pretty much says it all. I think, I think the Craig Stewart Wright saga is coming to an end. It doesn't matter because Will Clark is a new spiral grantee. Spiral is funding Will Clark, says Will isn't new to Bitcoin core work, but as a grantee, He'll have the support that he needs to PM neglected but valuable initiatives, including PR triage, bug fixes, user support, and comms, PR reviews, and the production of associated onboarding processes and documents, according to an announcement from the company Spiral, which is Jack Dorsey's outfit, just so you know. So they're still funding Bitcoin Core work. That's good to know. Pablo F7Z, one of my very favorite Noster uh, developers, is introducing kindzero.io. That's kind and the number zero.io, a NIP41 proof of concept. What's a NIP41? A simple way to migrate from a compromised key into a new key while signaling to your followers what happened. It works by whitelisting your next NPUB ahead of time and timestamping it to something that can order events chronologically, like the Bitcoin blockchain. When a key is lost or compromised, the new key can sign a migration event timestamp as well, and then clients can choose to act on it. For more discussion on this, listen to NVK's recent Bitcoin dot review where they go over the why and the trade-offs. Here's a very rough video of the very rough tool to implement this whole flow. This is not the last word on key management. There's still a lot of work to be done, but this is a small step in the right direction that will allow us to migrate the existing Noster social graph to more cryptographically complex schemes for whoever wants to do that. So what he's saying is he has a, basically it's a notary service that notarizes the fact that you are in fact in control of both keys. And that if your original key gets compromised, that your backup key is who you say you are because you did all this, you know, ahead of time. Now, I've always wanted a single insect private key generated from a Nostra client or however you want to generate it to be able to generate multiple inpubs. And I don't know why that's not being done. I want one insect. I want five NPUBs below that insect. I want to be able to sign all on notes on all five NPUBs with that one insect, but that's not possible, right? So my question to Pablo is this. 
Do I have to use this service in the event of a compromised key? Or can I simply say, I want to associate and I want to let everybody know that I'm associating these other NPUBs with my original NPUBs so that they know that I'm in control of those NPUBs as well. That's what I want to see. Anyway, that's the question I asked Pablo. I hope he gets back to me. And we're going to finish it off with proof of concept from Bera, B-E-R-A on Noster. And he's presenting on app. That's Vercel, V-E-R-C-E-L. The objective, billions must generate Noster accounts. And he says, I think this should be the way we onboard 80% of people to Noster. I had a friend download Domus, then I proceeded to bore them with the follow this guy and add this relay too, by the way. Add your NPUB to the end of the onboardster URL and when your friend generates an insect, they will have all of the same follows and relays as you right away. Instantly, their feed is lively and they can curate it themselves from there. And sure enough, this is actually live. It's onboardster.vercel.app. You enter in your NPUB to onboard a friend to Noster. And that, I mean, I like the way Bear is going about this. Because you, if you just say, hey, go, go do this and this and this. The only thing that people have when they begin in Noster is a global feed. If they don't have anything to seed from in far as far as their own experience is concerned, you're going to lose them. And honestly, global, it's not that it sucks. There's really, honestly, it's not all that. It's not as bad as it used to be, but you know, it's, there's just, it's like any other onboarding experience. If you were talking to your friend and you're a Bitcoiner, chances are good. You guys have something in common and chances are good. The people that you follow are somebody or, or, or rather a group of people that your friend might want to follow because your friends, because you share common interests. I think bear is doing the Lord's work here. Again, it's on board stir S T R on board app. Go look at it. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right. Dad says jokes. My wife told me, Sex is better on holiday. I wasn't expecting that on the postcard that she sent me from Greece. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, dad says jokes can get a little dark. All right, so just, you know, be aware. And that that's pretty much a dark one. All right, that's going to do it for today's show. I appreciate you uh, spending your time with me. Um, if you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. You can stream me Satoshi's. You can throw me boostograms. It's just a way to support me in trying to bring you the news that you can use, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.